Good morning, Sarepta. It is wonderful to be with you again for this um, third out of four sessions that we're going to be together talking about pitching your tent in the land called Hope and specifically looking at four tent pegs that we identified a few weeks ago. Tent pegs that connect our tent, our place of abode, our sphere of influence, our, um, our connections, our relationships, to really firmly connect those with the ground of hope. Uh, I want to read again the uh, text from Romans 5, verses 4 and 5, particularly, where Paul had been reflecting on the reasons for our hope and he, um, he comes to this place in verses 4 and 5 where he says that we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And so here there is the very direct connection between hope and the third tent peg that I want to talk about with you this morning, which is the love of God. We've talked about the sovereignty of God. We've talked about the presence of God. And now, today, the love of God. And you can see how, can, how intricately, how intimately connected these two ideas are. The fact that as we exercise hope, uh, the, the, the apostle says... The love of God in response to that hope is shed abroad, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Um, the love of God that we're talking about here, when we, I think you all know this already, but when we talk about love in New Testament language, the word agape, um, it, it has to do with a particular kind of love. It's the kind of love that when John unpacks it in 1 John chapter 3, he talks about it being intrinsic. It is internal to God. It is God's DNA. The second thing he says about it is that it is unconditional. It is the exercise of unconditional mercy and grace toward uh, undeserving people. The third thing about it is that it is not just a sentiment, but it is active. It acts for the well-being of the one who is beloved. And fourthly, it is sacrificial. He loved so much that he gives. He pays the price. God shows his love toward us in this, that, that he sent his son to be a sacrifice or an expiation for our sins. God's love, there's so, there are so many places in Scripture that we could dip into and we would probably find something to do with the love of God on every page of the Bible. Uh, but I, I want to just try to focus on specifically how does this affect us? How does this affect you as an individual? We all are very familiar, for instance, with the great text that says, God so loved or loved the world in such a way that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God loves the whole world. 
the whole world will not, however, receive all of the benefits that God would love them to receive from that, um, that love of God. And so there is a particular love that he has for the whole world. There is a more specific love, more focused love that he has for the church. Uh, so he speaks in, in uh, John chapter 13, or the Bible tells us in John chapter 13, that Jesus, uh, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He loved them all the way through their weaknesses, their betrayals, their their uh, vacillation, their uh, uh, confusion, their, their, their seeming stupidity. Uh, and, and he does that in such a way that his actions at the end of a day of walking through the world uh, is to strip himself, put on the, uh, the t- wrap himself with the towel and wash the disciples' feet. So there's a particular love that is a daily expression of Christ's service toward us, that is for our well-being, for our for for our benefit, um, and that brings me to the third one, which is the love that God has for you as an individual. So there are many places in Scripture where the love of God is individualized. It is for the whole world. It is for the whole church, um, and but then it is very specifically for you. In the act of creation, God loved you and he spoke his love over you and he he put the fingerprints of his love into your heart and life. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, one of my favorite verses, says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I have drawn you to myself because of that love. The attribute that we call the love of God, is in fact more than an attribute. It's not, it's not a characteristic. It's not a character trait. It is the very essence of God. It's the one thing that we call an attribute by which God identifies himself. He doesn't just say, I love. He says, God is love. God uh, introduces himself as love. He is the he, he is willing to say, if you, if you test me by any other standard, test me by this standard, that I am love, consistent, constant, active, sacrificial love toward you. It qualifies all the other attributes of God. And so we, when we speak, when we read about the kindness of God, it says it's the loving kindness of God. It says uh, that he, because of his great love toward us, he shows his mercy toward us. He loved so much that he gave his only begotten son. He shows his love by letting Christ die um, for us in Romans chapter 5. The one attribute by which, it is the one attribute by which he invites us and invites the world to take our pulse. You remember this? Take your pulse. Put your fingers in that little part of your wrist and um, feel if there's something going on there. If there's no movement under your fingers, I have bad news for you, right? John, the apostle, speaks about this when he talks about the love of God. He says, this is how we know that we are in God, that we have love. 
one to another. Um, it is the one that uh, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. And so he doesn't say you will know people by their mission, that you will know people by their sense of purpose, that you will know people by their faith. You will know people not by their performance but, but or even by their worship. You will know them by their love. Love expressed as unity, sacrifice, and acting for the well-being of one another, doing loving one another in the same way that I have loved you. But today I want to land this in the territory that Paul talks about here where he, he says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It is poured into, it is lavished upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so the love of God is not only those conceptual things um, of of uh, sacrifice and being intrinsic and being unconditional um, and even active, but it is experienced. How do we know that we are loved by God? We can experience God's love, and that's how we drive the tent peg into our land called hope. Um, God's love is offered to the whole world. I said that earlier. But the whole world is not going to enjoy its benefits. The benefits are taken hold of by our hunger, our thirst, and our passionate choice. And so that's what I want to land this in today. I think I've shared with you before on a number of occasions that it is true about every one of us that we don't know how to pray as we ought. Romans chapter 8 tells us that right toward the end of the chapter. It says, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, praying through us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit gives us the prayers of the Spirit, the things that God wants us to be asking Him for. It's like He puts the desire, He puts even the words in us, and he says, give expression to this, and then you'll see how I will run to, um, to bring that about, to fulfill or to keep that promise. So Paul, in a number of places in Scripture, records some of those prayers. And I love those because what they're saying is, these are the prayers of God. These are the prayers of the Spirit on our behalf. So listen to what the Holy Spirit is praying over you right now. It's recorded in Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14 onwards. As Paul thinks about our salvation, as he thinks about the fact that God's love has saved us, he says this, For this reason, for these reasons I've just been talking about, I bow the knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Think about what the Holy Spirit is praying. He says, I am praying that you may be. And then he unpacks all of the things that he wants for us to be. Um, and, the, and the word be, the, 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 the verb there, the verb to be, is once again, and all of the verbs that follow are in what is called the middle voice in the Greek. The middle voice means this. It means that we are both the objects of some action, but we are also participants in that action. In other words, we do while something is being done to us. It's the voice of the verb speak when, uh, when it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, that, 4, they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit is speaking and they are speaking at the same time. And unless we speak, the Spirit can't speak. But unless the Spirit speaks, we can't speak in tongues. That's really the text that is talking about that. But here he's talking about some very specific experiential things that I want you to reflect on and lay hold of today. The first one is to be strengthened. He says that you may be strengthened, that you may be given strength as you act strong. That's really what it's saying. That as you act with the expectation of God's strength coming to you, you will receive that strength. Uh, it's like, Get on the bicycle and ride it, and as you ride it, you'll find out that you can ride it. The second one is that you may be rooted, that you may take root, that you may spring forth, that you may grab hold of the soil. Uh, someone said a, a, a great oak tree is simply an acorn that held its ground. Um, one day, a little acorn fell to the ground, and roots sprang forth. Now those roots could just lie there. Uh, they could hope that there would be rain, that there would be nutrients coming to it. Um, but the, on the other hand, the roots of an acorn are designed to go into the soil, to grab hold of the soil, to suck the nutrients out of the soil. And so that's what Paul means when he says, or what the Holy Spirit means when he says, be rooted Grab hold of the soil. The third thing that he says is that you may be grounded. And here the metaphor changes so that he speaks about being, uh, having a foundation, digging a foundation, be excavated and be put in place as foundations on which things can be built. Then he goes further and he says, I want you, through all of this, I want you to comprehend, to comprehend. To understand, but also to take hold of what you understand. It's another very powerful, active verb that is talked about once again in the, in the middle voice. That you may lay hold of it. The word in Greek is katalambano. It means to lay hold of with extreme passion and strength. That you don't just take it lightly but that you give it everything you've got, that you hold on to that thing like Jacob held on to the angel of the Lord and said, I will not let you go 
until you bless me. And so to take hold of the following, to take hold of the love of God in all of its dimensions. He talks about the breadth of the love of God, that we take hold of the entire scope or spread of that love. What is the breadth of the love of God? It talks about the diversity. It talks about its scope. It talks about the fact that there is no limit to the outside or the inside, to the left or to the right, from the east to the west, uh, that God encompasses in his love every kind of person, the wonderful diversity, every tribe and tongue and people and nation is included in the breadth of the love of God. The second one is the length of the love of God. And that's talking about directional, it's longevity that he means here. It's a, it's a love that will never end. It's a love that will never waver. It, it's a love that will negotiate every hill and every valley that is ahead of you and will never stop giving, expressing, pouring into your heart that love. It is a love that has height. He talks about uh, that you may lay hold of the height of the love of God. And that's talking about status. That it doesn't matter how important you are. It doesn't matter how unimportant you are. That God's love reaches the heights of all people in every setting. And lastly, the depth of the love of God. He speaks about that in the context of our sin, our depravity, the fact that we have all sinned. And it doesn't matter how bad your life has been. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen. The love of God reaches there and can find you and act for your well-being and save you and cleanse you and make you into a different person. An interesting little thing that Paul says here, and I referred to this last week, an interesting thing that the Holy Spirit says here is this, that that you may comprehend, that you may lay hold of together with all the saints. He's talking here about, once again, the power of the church, the power of connection, the power of the fact that I don't see it all myself. I only have perhaps one tiny piece of a million-piece jigsaw puzzle. I have one little piece, and my piece can show me something of the love of God. But when everyone is together and we put all of our pieces in place, then we get the whole picture. And so the power of connection, the power of testimony, when I hear the stories of others, my comprehension, my ability to lay hold of the love of God is increased. When someone is healed and they tell their story, I have greater faith for my healing. When someone has a, a child that is restored to following Jesus and I hear that story and my child is not yet there, I have my faith restored for that, that um, ability. My hope is restored as I hear stories of the love of God as they are recounted by others. So the power of connection and the power of testimony. And so Paul finishes like this. He says that you may know, and the word know is once again to know by experience. 
to know by encounter the, this love of God, so that you may be filled to all the fullness of God, that you may be filled, that you may overflow, filled to capacity, filled to the point where there is no space for anything else. And so the question is, how full is full? How much do you need? How, how much of a gap is there between what you know and what you are experiencing of the love of God? Because God wants to fill that gap. He wants to complete the picture of his absolute, overflowing, extravagant love for you. He wants you to know in your knower, as my friend John Wimber used to say, I knowed it in my knower. I've got a knower inside here that is able to know the love of God, to enjoy the love of God, to be immersed and embraced by the love of God. And so right now I want to close this with a prayer for you that you may experience the fruits, the effects of this prayer of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to everyone who is watching, listening, that uh, to every home that is represented, to every place where your people are gathered, in small groups, in ones and twos, in families, or in larger gatherings. I pray right now that you would walk between them, that you, Lord, would touch each heart, that you would find those places where there is a slight scarcity, just a little bit less of the love of God than what you want to see being enjoyed there. So, Lord, I pray, let your love overwhelm them. I want to ask for a baptism of your love for every person who is watching this. In the name of Jesus, come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your love be shed abroad, be poured out, be like an avalanche over the hearts of every person listening. In the name of Jesus. We welcome you. We welcome you. I bless your ministry of connecting us with your extravagant, intimate love right now. I bless that ministry into every lonely place, into every hurting place, into every doubting place, that we may be filled with all the fullness of it. In the name of Jesus, thank you. Amen. Thank you again, Sarepta, and I think I might see you again in a week's time. God bless you, and enjoy the week ahead.